Bibles, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter four. And we're going to read verses seven through 15. As soon as I can get there. Second Corinthians four, seven through 15. It reads, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord... Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, for it is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. We're going to study this passage tonight, and our sermon is called Jesus Jars. And I'm going to tell you what it means to be a Jesus jar tonight. But we're going to do a little teaching first, and then we're going to do a little preaching and applying it in here a minute. So... Tonight we're going to we're going to have a full blown series for this this summer about how to study the Bible for yourself. But we're going to do a little pieces here along the way. And tonight, so if you have this text, this is the whole text and a little bit more um, before and after that I read on the screen. And if you were studying the text, this, if you can see that on the in the middle, our text in verses seven through fifteen is in the middle. There's a little before and a little after that. But I want to show you how you would kind of look at it and do some observation work before you kind of make your interpretations and applications. So I'm going to make some lines. And if you write your Bible or have a piece of paper, you might want to do them because it would help you as you look for things in the Bible. When you read a passage, it might help you to understand not only this passage, but any other ones that you might be also interested in studying. So there are things called, formally they're called inclusios, but that's kind of a hard thing to remember. They're more like bookends or brackets. And they also just kind of give you uh, blocks about how to distinguish large passages and sometimes small passages together. And let me show you. Our text in this, um, it has one at the beginning. We do not lose heart in verse 1. And if you go down to verse 16, I would circle it again. And then I drew a line up here on that. And so I look at that and say, see, that is the exact same phrase, beginning and ending those two paragraphs. And so I would know that everything in between there is what Paul is going to help people do, uh, particularly in the context if you're a minister and you work like an apostle or you work in a church and you serve as a pastor or a leader or something like that or a worker. He wants to tell you how to keep going and not get want to quit. 
That's basically what we'd say. And for anyone who's a Christian facing difficult circumstances would be the application. How do you keep going when you want to wave the white flag and throw in the towel? How do you keep going? Well, if we were doing that one tonight, we would say we could find things in between those two brackets in those verses between them that would help us to understand how to do just that. That's a really good thing for us to do. We'd also understand in this text, before and after our text, that this whole thing is about the gospel. And he mentions it twice, and I underlined it in there. And he's going to talk about, in chapter 3, he was talking about the gospel. In fact, if you want to get really technical... He's talking about the difference between the ministry in the Old Covenant and the ministry of the New Covenant. And that he tells in chapter 3 about when Moses went on Sinai and saw God's face, his face glowed. So much so, they had to put something over it because the people couldn't look on it. They were scared of Moses. His face was so radiant with the glory of God. He says, that's awesome in the Old Testament. He goes, but it's even better in the New Testament because Moses' face shined, but it wasn't his own glory it was a reflection of God's. He goes on to say, but in verse, chapter 4 and verse 6, near our text, he says, but Jesus is the image of God, and his face is lit with the glory of God because he is God. And so he wants to say, hey, us in the new covenant, we have an even greater, awesome ministry because we serve the risen Jesus. And so that was a big, important thing. Then also he wants to show us a key phrase, the glory of Christ, if you would circle that one. And then you come down here and you'd see the glory of God a second time. And then if you went all the way down to the here, you'd see the glory of God again. They are all very similar phrases. And so what is really important to Paul, as you might imagine, as he contrasts Old and New Testaments, is God's glory. And he's going to say how the glory of God is not something that the Jews get, but also the Gentiles get, and that's a big deal to him too. He's going to talk about a number of other things, and I'm going to show you those. He's going to take this little word to show, and I put in the parentheses over here, it's the word so that, or I put on the side, purpose. Okay, that's important because I'm going to give you some more. See the next one down there? So that, so that. So that, and I drew a line to all those because those words are talking about the purpose, the gospel bringing the glory of God and what is the purpose of that. And so he lines them up in a row. If I was trying to make a sermon outline, one, two, three, four, he gives you purposes of why you shouldn't lose heart when you're ministering the gospel to people. And if you've ever witnessed to someone for a long time or gone to Taco Bell and asked them to church and it took them three months, you don't want to lose heart right? You're trying to fight through cancer and it's been 17 months. It'd be easy to want to quit, and, but you don't lose heart. And the reason it is is because you carry about the glory of God and the gospel with you. And that gives you purpose for getting through all of those things. So that would be another thing that you can do. And then he talks about a word like this, the surpassingness of it. And the word down at the bottom, beyond all comparison, is the exact same word, and he says, the surpassing power. The surpa- and the word means literally to throw beyond. In other words, you throw it so far that you can't even see where it landed, basically. It, it, it's often translated beyond measure. And, and, and here's the key part. This is what we're going to key on tonight. 
God uses earthen vessels, or we're going to say clay pots or jars, and often those jars are weak, and they're cracked, and they don't have a lot of value in and of themselves, but inside they contain a treasure. And the treasure is the gospel, what tells about the glory of God that shines in the face of Jesus Christ. And he says, the power that sustains you, that surpassing power, the power that's greater than anything else, that goes beyond the measure of anything you could possibly think, it surpasses, it's beyond all comparison. And now, Listen, here's the application. What would it go beyond? And why does that matter? And what kind of power it is? Watch verses number eight, the first eight. We are afflicted. There's four comparisons. We're going to watch them because we're going to see how they all work together. We are afflicted in every way. And that circled always and always. These words are very similar and they denote intensity. In other words, here's the lifestyle of someone who is a fragile clay pot that inside holds the treasure of the gospel, but the life they live when they do that is anything but easy. Every way, always, Always, these are the things that they are constantly being combated with. They are, in this case, persecuted, knocked down. We could say this, they have cancer. They go after treatments. They are constantly ridiculed. They are not liked. They are misaligned, by, mistreated by their own family. Friends forsake them. We could go on and on a list. So what do you do? Here's what he says. We are afflicted, encircle all four of them, but not this, perplexed but not this, persecuted, but not this, struck down, but not this. You see the four things? And in all four of those, it is that it's something really bad, watch, but not too bad. Every one of them, it's bad, not too bad. This is really awful, but not as awful as it could be. And so here's what the power means. See how power, God's power works? This is important. God's power works this way. It doesn't keep you from being perplexed, distressed, persecuted. And the word persecuted means hunt down, literally. Hunt down. It doesn't keep any of those things from happening. Ready? But the power keeps you from being completely overwhelmed by them. When you have on every way, on every side, you think you're hemmed in, there is a way out. And here's the power of God. He lets you get in those circumstances. He lets you become weak. He lets you look like you have no way out, but there is, and he provides it for you. And if you've never experienced it, sometimes at the last minute, he provides it for you. Why? He tells us why. Ready? Always caring about the body and the death of Jesus so the life of Jesus may be manifest. How do we do that? Go back up and it says this. To show, verse 7, their surpassing power, ready, belongs to God and not to us. I think if you ask John Mark and Kathy Cray and Judy Jester and Nancy Rallone and other people who have had cancer or chronic issues, that they would tell you this. One of the lessons, and this is what I would pray most of all for people who face that, way more than I would pray for their healing, although I do. 
that they wouldn't miss any of the lessons God wants them to learn. And you know one of the lessons Paul says happens? Is that you learn this, that you don't have any power. See, you don't have it. You can't do it by yourself. That you need. So when 17 months, I'm listening to John Mark tonight with these ears. 17 months later, you know what he's telling you? He's telling you, you know how I got through it? I'm cancer free. Wasn't any power of my own. It was his. Do you see how the glory of God, listen, we didn't just say it, although we did. God did it. See, he said, I can handle cancer, but did it mean that it was fun? No. Did you get sick? Did you get chills? Did you have to lay in bed? Did you have to go through treatments? Did you not get to work and do things you like? And yes. But when you're weak, then you are strong. Now watch. We're going to do a little bit more. Why does God do that? Always caring about, caring And that means because he went around itinerantly on a ministry. Everywhere he went, he took the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be manifest in our bodies, which is the same phrase twice in a row. Here she says, let me explain it to you again. For we who live always being given over to death, it's the same word used when Judas gave Jesus over to the religious leaders to be crucified. He handed him over. Here's what he says life is about. Your life as a Jesus jar, if you do it right, you will be handed over. Our life is this every day, little many deaths and little many resurrections. My greatest fear for us at Easter is that we think and relegate Jesus' death and resurrection to a past event 2,000 years ago only or an event that's happening in the future when you die or he comes back. And I would tell you that those are awesome things that the Scripture teaches about both his death and resurrection, but the most important, most often talked about is not what happened back then or down there, up there, but right now. And very few Christians give much thought to how the death and resurrection of Jesus plays a part in their lifestyle every single day. And here's what Paul says. Do you know why earthen jars, verse 7, clay pots, do you know why God uses that analogy? Because back in those days, Earthen pots or clay jars were common. They were used inexpensively by common people who didn't have a lot of money and they were used around the house and had no, often did not have special uses. And Jesus says, and that's why, can you look at the first, therefore, you see that? You know what that, you, you always look back. And in verses one through six, he's telling you about the unbelievable glory of God that shines in the face of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel He says, now you take how glorious that is. And here she says, you have this treasure that is the glory of God that is infinitely valuable and worthy. And where does God put it? Ready? Inside a clay jar. You and me. They have cracks in it and they have faults. So let me give you some application. You ready? Sometimes we think that God's looking for the people who are the great, skilled, and talented people with all the abilities, and they can stand up in front, and they can 
speak and they can preach and they can sing and they can act and they have this talent ability and all, you know, and I'm not any of those things. And Jesus says, hallelujah, because see, I get glory when you can't do anything. It's not your strength I'm looking for. You know, he says, I'm looking for you to admit that you have none and that it's all about my power and strength for my glory and honor. You know what God likes to use the most? He likes to use the weak things. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and following. God doesn't use the powerful things. He uses the weak things to confound. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, but let him boast in this, that he knows me. See, that's, that's what God wants you to do. And we think that, you know, Pastor Walker, if you only knew how much I struggle with anxiety and I have anxiety attacks, and often I find myself, and I'm not even sure what the reasons are all the time, I find myself depressed and I don't want to go anywhere. Sometimes I get in a large crowd of people and it makes me nervous and I'm not sure I can sit through the whole service. You know what? And I look across there and I look at her and say, why would God ever want to use me? And if you already knew my past Pastor Walker, and you knew what I was like and the things I've done, you'd know why I'm not a vessel he can use. And in all of those, you'd be absolutely wrong. Because he's looking for vessels, not the shiny gold silver ones, the clay ones. But listen, he's not just looking and wanting to use your life because you have weaknesses and you're made of clay. But there's a reason why you're made of clay. Because your life as a clay pot or as a Jesus jar, it's just that. You are to show and embody his pattern. So the death and resurrection of Jesus doesn't just save you. It's what you live out every day. And so he says, for we who live are always being given over to death. It would be great for you if you would spend some time in memorizing some verses that would teach you that. Like Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, for I am crucified with Christ, right? And that's 2.20. He says, but God forbid, 6.14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom I have been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to me. You know what that means? Constant dying. Crucified. See, Jesus' crucifixion once and for our, all. Ours continually happens. We die We crucify. Paul says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, living and dying is antithetical all throughout Scripture. And every single day that you get up, you have an opportunity to die. Paul lived this way so much that in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he says this, I die daily. Daily. So when you're at home and your spouse says something that you don't want to hear and you don't like it, it makes you angry. See, you can choose this. Will I live or die to that response? Do I have to have my way or can I live out and be crucified? Can I die to my flesh that wants to get angry? And if I do, and see, maybe my wife or my husband will turn around and this whole thing will be resolved and we'll actually be joyful around it and there's a little mini resurrection that takes place. And I'm tempted to sin, and I, don't, I know that I shouldn't be doing that, or whatever that takes in whatever form it is. And so I tell myself, if you live according to the flesh, you know what? You are going to die. That's not the kind of dying I want to do. I want to do this kind of dying. I want to die to that influence that it has on me. 
And if I die to that and I live in victory and the joy floods my soul because I didn't give in to that like I normally do, see, I have a little mini resurrection in my life. And Paul says in these ways and greater ways, this is what he did his whole life long. He died. He says, I carry about Jesus' death everywhere I go. And he says, I do it in this body. I do it in this body And why would he do that? Because he goes, here's what he says, because when I carry his death, I show his life. So when you go to your job and everybody tells the stories and the jokes and uses the crude language and wants to go out after and you don't, and you are, instead of being taking things from the work and stealing by on the side and cutting corners, you don't. You live purely and ethically and you're different than everybody else. You know what you're doing? You were dying to all the things everyone else wants. Why? Because in doing so, the life of Jesus is manifested in all that you're doing. All that you're doing. And so we die, he says. We die all the times. We die in our life. Why? Because we want to manifest the works of Jesus in our lives. And so we don't give up. We don't lose heart. And we don't uh, throw in the white towel, I should say, Right? We are forsaken, but not, it says right there, we are not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about the body of the death of Jesus so his life may be manifested in us. You can turn that off, Steve. A number of years ago, I believe 1947 to be exact, a young Bedouin shepherd, as I read the story, was herding his flock on a hill near the sea, uh, Dead Sea. And one of his sheep wandered off. And so he went out to find them. And it took a while to find them. And it led him to a, a cave that was on the northwestern ridge in the Dead Sea. And the young shepherd went inside there. And he started to go in, but it was so dark, he didn't want to go in much further because it scared him a little bit. So he picked up a nice-sized rock and he threw it into the cave, into the darkness, and he heard something shatter in pieces. And so he went in a little further and he went in and he found clay pots, jars. And they are all about, probably, not all of them I shouldn't say, but they're, they're sizable. They're very sizable. And when he saw it, it hit that clay pot and shattered it. He realized that was inside that clay pot was a large scroll. And they were, had come out, came out to be, many caves were found eventually. It was the Dead Sea Scrolls. I got some pictures on there. I've actually been here when I went to Israel. And those caves and those holes up on the side of the mountains, those were where people hid out uh, in the 67 to 70 AD war when Rome invaded and they came out to this community and wiped them out, the Essenes and others. And before they were actually rooted out of there, they hid the most precious thing they had. And that was the scrolls of Scripture. And if you've ever seen a Torah scroll or a big scroll, they, don't, they, don't have, they didn't have little Bibles like we have. They would have Isaiah, but Isaiah would be this scroll by this big and about this fat around, and you'd have to unroll it to get to things. So when it says Jesus read in the temple, he didn't just say, open your Bibles to this page. They had to take time on this large table. They roll the scroll out and they, they don't have verses and chapters. You know, they don't have any of those references. They have to just know where it is. So they roll it out 
and it comes to the place and he reads Isaiah the scroll and he, he quotes it in that, in that passage in Luke. But they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and they were from the time right after Jesus. They were almost 2,000 years old. And all, many, many of the Old Testament scriptures were found in there. And I read that story and I said, what a perfect example of a very common pot that wasn't worth probably anything, but inside was a treasure. And you can go see, at times you can go see the Dead Sea Scrolls today. They have preserved those texts. They've studied it. And here's a great thing, not on our subject tonight. Um, Pastor Dave will probably say more about this in a couple of weeks when he talks about that. Um, but the scrolls inside and the way that they'd copied the text were no different than what they were today. Um, they were identical. That's how they had preserved God's word all over those years. What a huge, priceless treasure inside a clay pot. The question is, are you a Jesus jar? But to be a Jesus jar... You have to realize the treasure is on the inside and we want to get it out. One of the authors I read, the commentator, said that there was a certain clay jar that you had that was very thin. And the reason why it was so thin and easily broken and, flag, and frag, uh, easy to fragment was it was thin so that the light that they would carry in Corinth, you would buy these and you could walk around town and you could use it as light uh, as you went down the streets at night. But it was very thin, but the light that was inside needed to get out to show everybody where you were going. And it says he probably was referring to one of those. And isn't that the truth? The light of the gospel is in a clay pot like you and me. And we get to show off the light that is the glory of God in the face of Jesus by the way we live and the way we respond in little many deaths and many resurrections and it's the gospel that we are given out. Let me tell you as we close tonight, I hope that you'll take time, and, and this tonight would be inspiring to you, is that you take time to pray. Uh, we invite people, and I hope you do that. We, mark, we, we uh, advertise and, and hand out literature and all kinds of other things. But none of that, hope you believe it, none of that takes place of prayer. And we believe that there's power in that. I, I wish, you know, here's a dream. I wish that the most populated service we ever had was this one. I, I wish people would come. I, I'm, I'm getting nostalgic, ready? I'm 50, what am I now, 58 or 9? Um, back in the day, you know, and I went to church on Wednesday night. They didn't have a message. They didn't do any message. You know what we did? We sang one song and we prayed for the remaining part of the hour. That's all we ever did on Wednesday nights. I didn't know any different. It's not until I grew up and went somewhere else. I realized, oh, you have a Bible study too? Okay. That's all we did. They didn't know any different. We had, everybody wanted to pray with whoever. It didn't matter who it was. No one was afraid of that or embarrassed. You know, that's just what we knew. And, and you know what? I don't know if we'll get all back to those days someday. But I love this to see Faith Baptist Church that we're comfortable praying with each other. That we love each other. And we care about one another. We're reading in the pastoral staff right now a book called The Praying Church. And some of that is what's motivated us to go this direction on Wednesday nights. But the guy who wrote the book said that on average, every week, he prays at 80 different times with people. 80. 
And I said, wow, okay. So I, I did mine this week, and I, I didn't get the double figures yet. Nine times. <laughs> and so today I go like, okay, I had someone over for dinner before church tonight, and I, I prayed with them. And I'm not trying to count them. I'm just saying like, how do you get to 80? 80 times. Well, we don't, we not get to 80. I would like to get to 18, Right? Uh, what I really want to do is I want to see prayer that way. That's what I want to say. I wish we would say that. I wish that we, before church, someone tells you something and they say, pray with you. You know what I've tried to do now? Let's do that right now. You should try that. You should try with it. So try, I, I try to go out and talk to um, Eddie. I told him I'd pray for him at the window and they were honking behind me, so I had to go. But I go up to the waitresses and the waiters and I go out to lunch and, and with people and talk to them. And the first thing I ask them is, hey, what's your name? How can I pray for you? And they all want me to. I've never, literally had never had someone say, no, thank you. I did say someone asked me to pray for their dogs once. But other than that, I've had some really good responses. But I want to get to, I want you and I to get to, I want us to get to, that we believe that God's in this whole thing. And we invite them into everything that we do. We're teaching that on Tuesday nights. We have five couples that meet together about their marriage and their life. And we're, we're learning that we pray, want to pray as a husband and wife about everything. And I want us to be that kind of church. Um, I want us to be Jesus jars. And, and, and be, we're fragile, but we hold the greatest treasure. Let's pray about it. Can we do that? Let's give it out. I've got way many more ideas. Wouldn't it be great after a service on Sunday morning or Sunday night that people just said, hey, let's get a few people and let's just stick around and have a prayer meeting. It doesn't even have to be orchestrated by the pastor, does it? I'm not going to stop you if you do. Go ahead. Why can't we do that? Can you have someone over for dinner and then just have time to pray with them? We can't do that, right? I want us to become that kind of church. We need to do it together, right? Let's pray. Oh, Father, maybe it's an overstatement. I think it's true. I think we need you now more than ever. We need you because we have the persecution and the distress and the perplexity and the pressure coming from all areas, every side, always in our culture to compromise, to give in, to be like the world, to think differently, to tolerate, to compromise. And then the devil would want us to make such a big deal out of things at church that are so small and insignificant. And I'm so thankful, not because people died, but every time someone prays for someone and dies or have a funeral, I just think, God, we need to really think about what matters most because if we were dying, we would realize some of these things we get so upset with each other about are so petty. They're not vital. God, help us to live for what matters the most. Help us to pray together. Help us to seek your face. And God, help us to practice the pattern of Easter. Oh, we have so much to die to. May we crucify the affections and lusts. Galatians 5, 26. God, may we die daily. And may, when we do so, may you give us little mini resurrections in our marriages and in our relationships and at our jobs and with our neighbors and as we witness. 
God, this song said, he bids us to come and die. Let us take up our cross, master, and follow you. And let us do it on our knees. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.